Good evening. If you'll take your Bibles out and open up to the book of 1 Peter. We'll be looking at several verses in 1 Peter this evening. We're we'll starting in chapter 2 and verse 19. Uh, last week, I, I don't know if, if anybody, many of you got to, to meet him, but I, uh, it made me think of, of tonight's lessons. We had a, a visitor from Pakistan with his family, and one of the things he kept talking about was how blessed we are in the United States uh, to be able to speak freely, to be able to preach things and say things without uh, persecution like Matt was praying about, that we're able to, uh, uh, to speak clearly. Uh, in India this year, we're, we're going to be teaching First and Second Peter as one of the classes for the preachers. And one of the words, as you look through First Peter, th there's a word that Peter uses more than is used in any other book of the New Testament. If you look this, this word up, you'll see three times, two times, five times, one, 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 three, ten. And all of a sudden, you, First Peter hits ten times this word, and you think, what's going on? Why would this, why would this word be so common in the book of First Peter. And the word is suffering. And I thought about teaching this book in India. And I thought about how much physical suffering we'll see. And, and try to alleviate a little bit of it. But would never eliminate it. You'll, you'll never remove suffering from the world. It's a question people ask a lot. If there's a God. How come there's so much suffering? How can there be a God when there's so much suffering? When we see children starving and when we see people hungry, we see people sick. How could there be a God? You know, like the sermon this morning about Satan plotting, I think maybe the better question is, if there's a devil, how could there not be? How could there not be suffering when so many people are willing to join him in his work? And if Satan plots against the children of God and people are willing to assist him, then we understand why Jesus would say, in this world, you'll have tribulation. In this world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Most people historically think that Peter's letter was written uh, somewhere between 60 and 64 AD. Somewhere in that time frame. And it's interesting because you take this letter that Peter wrote. And, and it's, it's all about suffering. It's about enduring suffering. And it's about having hope. And some people refer to Peter as the apostle of hope. And so you see this focus more than any other letter on suffering and how to handle it and what to do with it. Written sometime between 60 and 64. And an event happened in 1964, probably after the writing of this letter. You know what happened in AD 64? Burning of Rome. And from 54 to 68, the man who ran Rome, the emperor of Rome, was Nero. And in 1964, when, I mean in 1964, in AD when Rome burned, we believe historically that Nero needed somebody to pin it on. And some of those early writers said that he... he blamed it on the Christians and gathered others up and tortured them and got them to implicate other Christians until the whole, the whole of Christianity was bearing the blame. It's interesting how the Romans saw Christianity. They, they believed in religiosity. They, they believed in a piety that, that bound the Roman Empire together. But what they didn't like was Christianity because they said it was just superstition. And it didn't reinforce the, the loyalty to Rome. And, and so they hated it. And some of the Christians that Nero persecuted were not persecuted for believing in a God. It was thought that they hated the Roman Empire. 
that they didn't support the Roman Empire with their beliefs. So I found it interesting that the Holy Spirit inspired Peter most likely to write a letter about enduring suffering before the great period of suffering. Why, now why would God do that? Because God doesn't leave us unprepared. He, he teaches. And, and so I thought about this as this, I was thinking about this, this man from Pakistan saying, you're so blessed to be able to do this without any persecution. And I thought, you know, that may not always be true. So when do you go to God's word and prepare your heart and your mind for things that might come down the road? You don't wait until you're in the middle of it. You know, we don't wait until our kids are full grown and then talk to them about marriage and other things. We prepare them along the way. So tonight we're going to look at the book of 1 Peter and we're going to drag a net through that book. And we're going to see, what would, you, what would you say to people who are about to suffer to give them hope? What would you say to prepare them to go through what they were about to go through? You know, Strong's says about this word that Peter uses over and over, it's to experience a sensation or an impression, and then in parentheses, usually painful. Now, I'm experiencing a sensation or an impression, but it's the painful part that makes it suffering. Peter starts out his letter telling them that their faith be like gold refined by fire. It's like going to be like going through a furnace. It's going to be difficult. They're scattered to the dispersion, he writes, to those who are exiles in all of these different places, scattered about the country. Let's look tonight at some truths about the suffering that they were going through and would go through. So again, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, chapter 2 and verse 19. Some suffering is going to be unjust. We'll see in this verse, some suffering is undeserved. Verse 19 says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It doesn't make it any more pleasant when it's unjust, does it? Even if you know you're doing the right thing, and, and maybe especially when you know you're doing the right thing. In the college class this morning, we talked about Job. And isn't this funny how Job's friends approached his suffering? All right, Job, what you do? Come on, Job, what, what, what'd you do? You had to have done something wrong. Surely you did something wrong. You had to have displeased God. And if Job had had perfect knowledge, how could he have answered that? Job, why are you suffering? Because I was a righteous and a blameless man, that's why. And because Satan is evil and plots against the children of God. That's the answer. Job suffered unjustly. You know, if we are persecuted at some time in the future for, as a church, probably the first persecution will be for teaching what the Bible says. It will not be for doing something wrong. It will be for doing something right. And the idea of unjust suffering, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's the right thing. It won't always prevent suffering. Those in the church were doing the right thing. But Peter tells them sometimes it's going to be unjust. Sometimes you're not going to be able to explain it. You're not going to be able to give a reason. It's going to seem so unfair. And haven't we been teaching our kids that from very young? Life's not fair persecution and suffering are not fair what do most people say when they suffer why me why me why me what about in chapter 2 and verse 20 the next verse down for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure but if when you do good and suffer for it you endure and endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God Sometimes enduring unjust suffering is gracious. It's a good thing. Doing the right thing and saying it's worth it. 
What happened when the apostles in, in the book of Acts, they went and preached and they were beaten for what they did? Did they say, oh, we, we shouldn't have done that? The Bible says they, they considered it a, a, a blessing, a glory that they were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. You know, there are, are illustrations I, I remember preachers using from, from a very young age. Uh, several people have come up and reminded me about the illustration of making yourself cry by plucking a nose hair. And I thought, please don't remember that for the rest of... I remember a better illustration. When I was a little kid, I always heard the story about the stove. Do you remember that from old sermons? The mothers who, whose hand was all scarred up and burned. And the family would always talk about her, her gross, ugly hand and how, how messed up and mangled and gnarled it was. And the mother said that when she was a little girl that they had had a wood-burning uh, wood stove and it had been propped up on a block and that she'd been playing with it and she knocked that block out and the hot stove started to fall on her and that her mother reached down and grabbed it to knock her out of the way but that it burned and scorched her hand down to the bone and it had, had scarred it. Don't I remember that? But I remember that idea of suffering having meaning. Think that mom thought it was worth it? You know, I've told you before, I asked a gentleman who lost his two-year-old grandchild and all the suffering he went through and the sadness and all those things. I said, would you rather not have had that grandchild? Well, he got mad. Of course, of course not. Of course I wanted that grandchild. The suffering is worth it. What do you tell a group of people who are about to suffer? You tell them that it's worth it. That no matter what they have to go through, that doing the right thing is the right thing. In verse 21, in the next verse, it says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Too many people want Jesus to be a portrait that we admire. Boy, look at that. Look at that Jesus. Look how good he was. Jesus' life was not a portrait. It was breadcrumbs. See the difference? Jesus didn't live his life so that we could admire him. He led his life so we could follow him. Say, so, well, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to suffer. I, I, can I have some of that non-suffering Christianity? Can I be a Christian and not have to deal with persecution? In chapter 23, of, of uh, verse 23 of chapter 2, it says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Suffering requires trust in God and not vengeance toward man. This is hard. It's hard. When we suffer, what do we want? We want the person who made us suffer to suffer in return. We, we want to return evil for evil. We want, uh, contrary to everything the Bible tells us, and I'm telling you, this is in us. You know, I just read this afternoon, this, this hacking group, Anonymous, in retaliation for the terrorist attacks, they have posted and said, we're coming after you. We're going to take you out. We're going to shut down your sites. We're going to close down all these things. We are going to attack you in return. Do you know what I think when I read that? Get them. You know, go. We, we like retaliation. We, we like the idea of the bad guys getting what's coming. But I have to ask you a question. Could Jesus and, and God, and, and through the power of, of, of God and his might, could he not have taken Nero out? Could God not have seen what Nero was about to do and ended his time as emperor? Why did he leave him? Why did God leave Nero in place knowing that his children were going to suffer at his hands? We have one of two conclusions. Either God was powerless to do anything or suffering requires that you trust God that he knows what he's doing. 
When we get to that point, if we get to that point as a country, as a nation, where we suffer for doing what's right, will we seek our retaliation, our revenge? Or will we trust God to use it for good? Because the very next verse says, in, 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 our next point is in uh, chapter 3 and verse 14. The Bible says, but even if you should suffer for righteous sa righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Sometimes suffering can be a blessing. James tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Is it true that suffering can be a blessing? Is it true that suffering can make us grow up? Is it true that suffering can prepare us for the things ahead? You know, this is the basis of almost all physical training. You, you, you have to suffer in order to have some kind of gain or some kind of development or some kind of preparation. What do we say? No pain, no gain. And some people misinterpret that and think it means that you ought to go to the point of injury, but it means if you're not willing to put in some, some effort, if you're not willing to go through some suffering, if you're not willing to go through some trials, what makes you think you're going to grow? We don't like to suffer, even when it is a blessing in our life. Sometimes we, we merge good suffering and bad suffering. Look in chapter 3 and verse 17. There is better and worse suffering. The Bible says it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You may suffer for doing good, and the hard thing to accept is that may be God's will in your life. It may be God's will. If that's God's will, that you should suffer for doing good... That's better suffering. Not for doing evil. You know, the Old Testament tells us the way of the sinner is hard. Sometimes people will do wrong and they think, well, I, God, is, God is just training me. He's teaching me. I, I'm just having to grow through this. The Bible says it's better to suffer for doing good. If you're going to suffer, suffer for doing the right thing. Look in chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Suffering precedes reward. The effort, the endurance precedes the reward. I have a friend who does interviews for a company, and he said he gets so frustrated by, by young people who come in for jobs. He said in the very first interview, they, they call him in for an interview, very first interview, he said they want to know two things. You know what they are? Salary and vacation. How much am I going to get paid and when can I be off work? They want the reward before the work. And sometimes we fall prey to this in Christianity. We want the reward without the effort. We want the salvation without the suffering. And the Bible says no, the suffering precedes glorification. Jesus did. Jesus suffered and was glorified. And Paul says, if Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There, there are things we're going to have to go through before we can find that reward. And then he gives an example. For the time that's passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. 
With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. That's usually where, where persecution begins, with the maligning, with the mockery, with the, the despising. And wh Why don't you do what you used to do? Why, why, aren't you our friends? Why don't you come along with us? You think you're better than us? You think you're holier than thou? You Bible banger? Don't you? Who do you think you are? They malign you. The suffering, the, the outcast, the, the ostracization from the world. But what does it say? But they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. The suffering precedes the glorification. The Bible tells us in chapter 4 and verse 15 not to lump all suffering into one pot. The Bible says in verse 15 let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. I have uh, spoke to a gentleman who's a criminal defense lawyer. And after the trial, I was curious. I went up to him privately and I said, was he innocent? I really, I really wanted to know. I mean, he, he put on a good defense and I wanted to know, was the guy really innocent? He hesitated for a long time. And he said, they all are. They all are. They're all innocent. Everybody claims innocence. Everybody says that they're innocent. And he says, don't lump the suffering all into one pot. Don't say, well, if you suffer for him as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler, and you look at someone who's suffering as a Christian, you know, what do they say in the movies? Two guys are in jail together, and what do they say? What are you in for? Well, I, I'm in prison. I'm, I'm in prison because I was a faithful Christian. Oh, yeah, I know how that is. I mean, I, I killed someone. I'm in prison too. It's not the same. Don't suffer, suffer as an evildoer. And you think about how this might apply in our future. Someone becomes a murderer. Someone does something to the church. And they go out and they, to the applause of the nation, they take someone down. They kill someone. And everybody says, oh, you're a hero. The Bible says don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as an evildoer. Don't suffer as a thief or a meddler. Don't suffer for doing things that are against God's will. Suffer for Christ. Bring, bring glory to God. In chapter 4 and verse 19, the Bible tells us this. Therefore, let, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God can keep safe what needs to be kept safe. Don't you like this guy in the movies? He's being tortured. He's suffering. He's got the information that would lead to the destruction of his, his unit. And he doesn't give up the information. He stands up to the suffering. He protects that important thing. He saves those lives by protecting that important thing. The Bible says we don't have to be that hero in suffering. God is that hero. God protects the soul. I love, I love this idea that no matter what we may go through in the future of our country, nobody can touch our soul. Nobody can throw our spirit in prison. No one can keep us out of heaven but God alone. And finally in chapter 5 and verse 10, what would you tell a group of people who are about to suffer? How would you prepare them ahead of time so that they could get through it? You know what we tell people a lot when they're suffering over the loss of a spouse or they're going through something difficult? We say time does what? Time heals all wounds. This too shall pass. It won't hurt this bad forever.
it true? Suffering won't last longer than our vapor lasts. The Bible says in chapter 5 and verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know, I always tell my kids, you can put up with anything for a little while. You can deal with anything for a little while. When God sent Ananias to Paul, you remember what he told him in chapter 9? He sent him to Paul and he said, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Did that come true? Come true. Shipwrecked, beaten, thrown in prison over and over again. And how did Paul feel about that when it was all done? When we talk about this suffering, if we had preached this sermon to Paul and said, Paul, it's not going to last and it's going to be worth it. And when Paul got to the end of his life, was it worth it? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And now what? Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But Paul says, not just for him, but for all who have loved his appearing. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us this about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Why would he suffer? Talk about unjust suffering. Why would Jesus have to go through suffering? And if we go back to our book and end with the scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, we see why he was willing to suffer. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And then here's his purpose, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You go up to Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, and you say, why? Walk right up to the foot of the cross. Lord, why? Why would you do this? Why would you just get them? Just retaliate. Take your vengeance. Wipe them out. Why are you letting them do this to you? What would his answer be? So that you can be with God. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. I'm going to suffer so you don't have to. We can put up with anything for a while knowing that Jesus left us an example that we might follow in his footsteps. You know, I thought, I don't know if one day, I don't know if I'll be alive or dead or long gone or if that day will ever come or if the Lord will return when there will be a group of people in this place who are having to deal with suffering at the hands of their fellow citizens, of the government, of former members of the church. We don't know. The question is, will we be faithful if it comes? Will we continue to stand for Christ? Will we continue to teach the truth? Will we deal with whatever suffering comes? When we're reviled, will we not revile in return? Will we trust God with our souls? Will we, we trust him that he'll take care of us? And you know what the answer is? We don't know until we get there. But we know what God expects of us. And we prepare our minds ahead of time of who we will be, just like we prepare our kids for who we want them to be. God's word prepares us. When we endure suffering, we use it for the glory of God. We are blessed to live in this country, aren't we? We're able to say, we're able to preach the gospel. We're able to talk about these things. And, and we can very freely say, if you want to become a Christian tonight, you don't have to hide from anybody here. You can come and confess your faith in Christ. You can put them on in baptism. You can repent of your sins. And, and you can become a Christian and a part of the, the church of Jesus Christ. And you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about whether anybody knows about it. 
You can go home and post it online. You can talk about it. You can share it at work. And nobody's going to throw you in jail for that. So why would you put it off? When the doors are open and there's no one you have to be afraid of, why not become a Christian and live your life for God? If you need to come tonight, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.